is Ronaldo. Oh, my goodness. You don't save those. Out of this world. Messi. 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 Landon Donovan, there are things on here for the USA. Can they do it here? Cross, and Dempsey's denied again, and Donovan has scored! Oh, can you believe this? Go, go, USA! Certainly through! Oh, it's incredible! You could not write a script like this! For the fourth time, the United States of America are crowned champions of the world. From the international stage to right here at home, this is FUVFC, talking all things soccer on WFUV Sports. Welcome back to another edition of FUVFC. Nick Guzman here, joined alongside Gino Alva and Andy Rodriguez. And guys... You know, we've hit June, but that doesn't mean the soccer stops. We had the Champions League final just last weekend and then a thrilling and insane CONCACAF Nations League semifinal last night between the United States and Mexico. But first, Gino, I'll start with you. How are you guys doing today? I'm doing well. Yeah, it's been a chaotic week with the Champions League final and USA versus Mexico, but there's a lot to talk about. I mean, this USA versus Mexico match was insane. It was chaotic. It went all over the place. So I can't wait just to get into it and talk about this Nations League final that we're coming up to. Andy, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Uh, it's great to be here. I'm very excited to make my debut for the podcast. A lot to talk about. The match last night was pretty exciting, insane all around. So I'm I'm ready to get into it. I think before we get into the Nations League stuff, we have to talk about the Champions League final. Set it like it's some kind of duty. No, it's the it's the biggest yeah. game of the year on the calendar. But I think when we were talking about it last week on the show, Gino, everybody was predicting a Man City victory by you know various scores. I think a couple of us. I think I, I had a three nil. Thing you might have had it a little bit closer. Same thing with James, and. It was closer than I think a lot of people predicted, you know, even after City went 1-0 up with that Rodri goal, you know, midway through the second half, Inter pushed and they had some glorious chances to score and to equalize. But, you know, whether it was Ederson or, or Romelu Lukaku, they couldn't quite, you know, get that equalizing goal and the match ends 1-0 to Man City, completing their treble. But, you know, I just want to first get your your instant reactions to to what you saw in that final, because I think it was a lot closer than, you know, what everyone everyone was expecting going in. Yeah, we predicted, I think, from last week, we predicted like big goal, goal, goal margins. I mean, I said it was going to be a 2-1 close match. But I mean, yeah, to talk about this final, I mean, one nil to City, I thought Inter was going to score in the first couple of uh, minutes. It, they were very they were pressing really hard and. I just don't understand why Lukaku just can't finish his goals. We saw that in the World Cup previously. Those big moments, just to tap in, and he can't just score in those moments. I don't understand why. I just don't understand why Lukaku can't do that. But credit to Inter, they really tried really hard to get a goal. They attacked really well. But like I said last week, if, you know, if Inter was able to do that sort of like you know attack, and City could stay back, and you know, unfortunately, the goal Rodri uh, did was just. 
easy and you know they got the goal which matters so uh i don't know this this champs league final wasn't very hyped up as previous finals i seriously thought that it was kind of a boring final but you know a city did what they had to do they got they got the treble they got the champions league and you know it's just overall i thought it was just a uh pretty pretty insane final just just because inter just didn't you know get a goal but yeah one zero surprises me i thought city was going to go maybe three three nil or three one but uh definitely a surprising uh result for sure and andy for you you know watching that game close than a lot of people expected but still city you know they complete the treble and it's and it's a great performance for them at the end of the day but you know, as as far as final go, finals go, and as far as you know, one nil matches go, there was some action. But now I think it's four Champions League finals in a row that have finished by a score of one nil. I just want to know what you made of 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 City's performance and Inter Milan as well. I was very surprised with how Inter showed up in the final. Uh, I was expecting them to be competitive. I didn't expect the blowout. My original prediction was two one for City. But yeah, Inter surprised me. They, I think they had the better chances throughout the game. They dominated most of it. City, very underwhelming. Not a lot of attacking going on. They got the goal with a crazy shot from outside of the box. And yeah, the score lines is 1-0. But if you watch the match, I think it was pretty exciting. There were a lot of chances. And especially towards the end, Inter just kept attacking, looking for the equalizer. There was a shot on target saved by Ederson in the final seconds. So, yeah, the 1-0 scoreline might be a bit confusing and, like, might say it's not as exciting. But for me, it was a great final. I, I, I was very pleased with how it went. I think my biggest takeaway, maybe not my biggest takeaway, but something I noticed, something we mentioned last week, is that John Stones is just an absolute baller. And that even when you put him in the midfield, for some reason that works. And and he can play that that weird pivot role that that Pep wants him to play, and I think for Man City now, having completed the treble, I think now they they're genuinely in the conversation of of are they the greatest English side of all time? I know the the ninety nine treble for Man United has they have a lot to say about that, but I think you know City it's the first treble since then for an English side, and you know, the way they played their way through this Champions League, the way they played their way through the FA Cup and the way they chased down Arsenal in the Premier League, it, it you know, a lot of people don't maybe don't want to admit that this this is potentially one of the greatest sides of all time. But I think there's no there's no doubting at this point that, you know, that's the case. And I think it's just it, it's it be beyond where they got the money from and how they've and all that, and who owns them. I think when you look at it purely from a football perspective on the pitch, I think anybody can really appreciate just how good this Man City side was this season. But then moving over to some more domestic action, a match last night between the United States and Mexico in the CONCACAF Nations League semifinal that had just about everything you could ask for from a U.S.-Mexico showdown. It had some great football from the United States, some of the best, you know, passing and some of the best interplay that I've seen from this group in a long time. It had the debut 
Florian Balagoon, who many people think is going to save the United States at that striker position. And it also had the so many of the typical CONCACAF elements that we've come to both love and hate, whether that's a lot of cards, whether that's the team who starts to lose just immediately start to hack the other team and try to make the game as ugly as possible. We had fans throwing stuff at players on the field. We had Weston McKenna getting his jersey torn up after after a big altercation. We had red cards on two on each side, McKenna and Dest for the United States, who will, they'll both miss the final now. And then Cesar Montez and then Artiega for Mexico. So both teams finished with nine men. But the U.S. comes out on top 3-0. So I think we'll – and th- that that's before we got the news, you know, towards the end of the first half, the Athletic reported that Greg Berhalter will be returning – as the United States men's national team head coach. So I think we'll start with the play and the action purely on the field before getting to Greg. So Andy, I'll start with you on this one. Watching that match, you know, it felt like it had all the the ingredients of a classic USA-Mexico game, but the U.S. really thoroughly outclassed Mexico on the pitch. Absolutely. I mean, Mexico had a few moments where you think they might have made an attack in the first half but they just couldn't get that final pass through they weren't decisive enough in the final third and they were just made the mistake when it mattered the most and USA I was very surprised because they've been improving so much over the past years we saw it in the world cup even though they didn't score many goals there but they've just been improving every time I see them play and yesterday I was it was great to see them, how, how much chemistry they have, all the passes they were doing. It was so fluid. And even when they're getting pressured by the defense, they still get those passes away. They get into the box. We saw great goals. Uh, that first shot by Pulisic for the first goal was ridiculous. I don't know how he got that off through the defense and through Ochoa. And that third goal with Dest, ridiculous assist. And yeah, it's just a very talented team. I thought they dominated the game. Of course, the last 20 minutes became pretty hectic with all the red cards, but yeah, USA played really well. The only thing is that this is probably the worst Mexico team we've had in years. So for me, it doesn't really say, like, I think the USA team is good, but how good is it really? I don't know. They haven't really been tested yet against the big team. Mexico is probably their worst side in years. They got eliminated in the group stage in the World Cup, which is, they hadn't made it through, they had made it through the round 16 for like five World Cups in a row. So it was a good win, but I don't think people should get too excited about it. Uh, We have to see first how they perform against the bigger test. Yeah, going off what Andy said, I agree with him completely. It's one of the worst Mexico Mexican uh, national team sides I have ever seen. But just to touch upon um, the men's national team, these group of guys have played with each other since they were maybe like kids, some in the training facilities, some in the academy. And we saw that in the World Cup, you know, even with uh, Berhalter, they know how to play with each other. They, they're a really strong uh, core group of guys. And I think what Pulisic has done so far in the last couple of matches against Mexico has been super. I mean, talk about that Nations League final a couple of years ago, you know, with the penalties and everything. Um, you know, obviously we're gonna we're gonna get to the topic of Berhalter and the coach, but I think this men's national team is really strong when it, what I think is they got experience from the World Cup. 
you know, from not making the World Cup in 2018, you know, we obviously know that it was kind of a blow. A lot of veteran players were playing in that qualifiers and there needed to be a change. And the change was to bring a young group of guys and all of them, majority of them play in Europe, some of them play in the MLS, and they just know how to play with each other. And with this addition of Bulligan within the striker role, it's, you know, people want to play for for uh, the U.S. men's national team. So uh, I just think, you know, the performance they showed, I mean, the pass from Sergio Des was amazing. I don't know why we didn't see that in Barcelona, but I think everybody's performance was great. Obviously, the red cards kind of blew the game for them towards the end, but, you know, they performed and, it's just a great performance. I think it's probably the greatest performance I've seen from the men's national team since the Nations League final. It's it's it was a really good performance for them, and I'm very happy for the outcome that happened uh, last night. Yeah, and the the U.S. in in this one were without probably I'd say arguably their most important player in Tyler Adams. So they set up with just Musa and McKenney as those kind of holding players, and then Reina playing a little more advanced. As the as the three in midfield, and that worked out well. It was extremely fluid. Reyna tracked back when he needed to. McKenney got forward when he needed to and stayed at home when when that was necessary. So I think that tactical setup from from BJ Callahan, the interim manager, really worked wonders. And I also thought an, an interesting sort of note is, like you mentioned, Gino Sergio Dest has had really no success at the club level at all this season. Neither is Christian Pulisic. And even if you want to look at other guys, you know, Gio Reyna has done a lot of good things coming off the bench for Borussia Dortmund, but he hasn't really started any games in a long time. Tim Way has been asked to play right back for Lille a lot this season. And and as as a result, he hasn't really scored that many goals. The assists haven't been there because he's been playing fullback. So you look at all of that, all of, all of those sort of struggles at, at club level. Chris Richards didn't get a whole lot of game time at Crystal Palace this season. And... Those guys absolutely balled out. Sergio Des played so well, setting up that second goal, um, or that third goal rather, for Ricardo Pepe off the bench, and then the second goal, Tim Weah using his pace to get that cross to Pulisic, and Pulisic that looked like vintage, that's like almost lockdown Christian Pulisic from the COVID year in 2020, where he he played so well for that Chelsea team for those three or four months. It felt like like that was the Pulisic that we got out there tonight, and I think that was as fluid of performance as we've seen for the men's national team. And yes, it definitely, if you take into account uh, the state of this Mexico national team and, and their, and their federation and what's going on right now, because I think there's definitely some structural issues there that go beyond, you know, just the players on the pitch in terms of, you know, you know, players playing domestically for just players in Europe. And then the, the, the general selection to, of, of who's playing in these games and who's who's getting those opportunities is definitely a big talking point too. But I think the other stuff, you know, beyond the play of the United States is just how this match turned in the last, you know, 30 minutes or so to become a, a sort of typical CONCACAF slugfest where we had, you know, multiple instances of players coming together. You know, first it was really that, you know, Gio Reyna got hit hard, I think, by Antuna drawing some blood. And I think that sort of sparked everything. And then Gio, we saw Gio, you know, he's, he's, he's a little cocky, but I like it about him, you know, trying to pump up the crowd after he gets fouled. And then there was the Montez uh, swing on Balogun that got that straight red card followed up by McKenney getting red carded, despite, you know, his Jersey getting torn and, 
I think it was Jorge Sanchez in there who got away without anything. But I think McKenney, yes, he put his hand in Sanchez's face. That's going to be a red card every time. But I think maybe maybe there should have been a red on Sanchez too for the pulling of the jersey. But then beyond that, I mean, it just got chippier from there. And there was the, you know, the Destin Artiega, and I think it was Edson Alvarez over there in the corner too during when that all happened. Some some shoves to the face by Dest and then back towards Dest as well. I just kind of want to get your guys' reaction to the way this game kind of turned on its head and turned into something that really didn't feel like soccer for those last 30 minutes. It, it you know, we've seen this happen before between the U- USA and Mexico. And to me, it's kind of part of the charm somewhere. Some A little bit, it's part of the charm. Uh, but, you know, now the U.S. are going to be without two of their most important players in McKenney and Dest for the final. But just curious of what you guys made of those last 30 minutes and sort of the the WWE-type nature of it. it was. It's a, a friendly, a World Cup match, whatever it is, there are always going to be fights against these two teams. I mean, they're both passionate about their, their country, but yeah, I mean, it was more than just, you know, soccer at that point. It was, they were going all out. I thought McKinney punched uh, one of the players, one of the Mexican players, but it, it actually he kind of lunged and then it just started getting chaotic. It, there was like maybe three or four fights in the last 30 minutes. And I think there was like four red cards handed out. It was terrible. And plus, you got the Mexican fans chanting um, some discriminatory um, chants every time Turner would kick the ball and they had to stop the match. You know, uh, those last 30 minutes were just a proper USA versus Mexico CONCACAF match. It was just chaotic. It was all over the place. But, you know, I know we're going to touch upon, you know, the, the racist chants and everything like that. But I just don't understand why... FIFA or CONCAP has done something to those chants. I mean, in the, in the previous like games, we've seen that they gave out statements, you know, about how if they're going to continue with this chance, you know, it's going to be, uh, uh, I don't know, some some sort of uh, fine or something, but we haven't seen that yet. You know, the referee was getting over it, but, you know, it was just chaotic. I mean, I, I don't know what more to say. It was just so chaotic. Uh, Reyna was just bleeding all over the place. P- players were getting cocky. There was like millions of pictures of McKinney just with his shirt off and, you know, him hyping up the crown, which I love those type of stuff, especially when you're playing for your country. So, we're, I mean, we're, there's a lot to get into this, you know, last 30 minutes. But, yeah, it was definitely, definitely chaotic. Yeah, and in yeah, terms of it, too yeah, go ahead, Andy, go ahead. Yeah, it just got a bit really chaotic, as you said, and... It is what people come to expect between this rivalry, but like, is it really necessary, especially in a semifinal, getting two red cards for two of your better players, McKenny and Dest, where now you can't play them in the final? You're already missing Adams. So it's just a huge blow to take. Regardless, it was entertaining. And yeah, with the chance, it's been going on for so long, for as long as I can remember watching Mexico play and still no action taken. I still believe that they should just take the fans out or like ban them from going for a few games because there's just no way of stopping them. And it's it's ridiculous at this point. I feel like pausing the game just makes them want to chant it more. And really the only solution there is take the fans out. The fine is not going to do anything because they're just going to pay it and keep shouting it. 
Yeah, I think in terms of the 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 discriminatory chanting from the Mexico fans, I think it's a situation where Concacaf they want to do something, but like at the same time they they don't like they publicly want to, but they also don't actually want to take the steps or actions that will actually that will prevent it from happening in the future. Like you said, Andy, the steps that prevent it from the future is you make Mexico play a, a home game or a game in the United States without without any fans. That's the punishment. And and you don't let people go and watch Mexico. I think that would do it. But then, you know, um, if that doesn't like that, that I think that would definitely stop it. But then if you CONCACAF doesn't want to miss out on on the money that comes from hosting these these Mexico matches in the United States because it's a big money maker. And you saw that that stadium in Las Vegas. It was packed full, probably 80, 80 to eighty five percent Mexico fans. That's a lot of money for Concacaf. And I think the thing that sums up how how they they're approaching, you know, dealing with discriminatory chanting is them stopping the match like five minutes early. Obviously, because of the chance and because they don't want to deal with step two and step three of that protocol, they'd rather just get it done. They'd rather just get the match done, despite whatever. I think their statement after the match, Concacaf statement, was that it had nothing to do with discriminatory chanting, them stopping the match five minutes early. Which I think is just is it's bogus. It was obviously because of the chanting, and I think it's clear that, like like I said before, they want to do something about it, but like they they don't ever take steps to to actually do something. And I think it gets worse when Mexico is losing. Definitely, it's kind of a frustration thing that that the crowd takes out. But it's just interesting to see how CONCACAF has these steps in place and they have, you know, the messages going around the advertising boards all game long about no discrimination. But then when it comes to actually doing something about the discrimination, they don't really ever take any concrete action. And I feel like, like you said, Andy, this has been happening for so long. This has been happening. I feel like you said your whole life, it's been happening for my whole life, too. Like every time I, I watch a, a Mexico game and, you know, in the last five years, they've started to act like they care about the chance, but it seems like they don't really at all, if that makes sense. The biggest concern for me is the World Cup now, because the final and some matches are being played in Mexico and the Mexican fans are going to be there. Now, imagine them chanting during those matches. What is FIFA going to do? Because now, you know, Cap, Comabon, all the other confederations are going to watch you know, the fans chant, they're going to have to stop the matches during the World Cup matches. It's just going to be another, you know, take five minutes, you know, tell the fans, hey, continue leave, you know, leave the stadium. That's my biggest worry. The fall, the World Cup is coming up because in the in the previous, you know, matches, I think CONCACAF or FIFA's given statements saying, you know, we're going to not make Mexico be part of the World Cup anymore if they continue it. Like, it's, it's all chaotic. So there's no action taken, nothing to be done. They're going to continue with the chance. They're going to continue taking five minutes to stop the match. And it only comes from the Mexican national team fans. I've never seen it from other you know teams, but just Mexico, they keep doing it. I think there is the factor too, like you said, Andy, of like when you tell them not to, it makes them want to do it even more, which like it seems like, like that shouldn't be the case, but it is. And I think, you know, if CONCACAF wants to sort of nip this in the bud before, you know, 2026 and before the World Cup, maybe even before Copa America, because those matches are going to be in the United States too, 
and and Mexico will be involved in that tournament too. Um, and that will be on the international stage. So I think if they want to take concrete action before then, they they definitely have the opportunity to. It's just whether or not, you know, they care deeply enough about about actually making those changes because the if they do they do try to to make it stop, it's gonna affect their pockets at least a little bit in the short term. I don't think that's some, something that CONCACAF wants. So the United States victorious in this match by a score of 3-0. But then we got the exciting – is it exciting? Is it not exciting? We'll talk about it. But the news in the first half was reported by The Athletic that Greg Berhalter is set to return as the head coach of the United States men's national team. Now, he was in charge since, you know, 2019 and – and and Greg led this team to the round of 16 in the World Cup. They lost the Netherlands, a game probably they were outcoached in. But he took home the Gold Cup in 2021, the Nations League also in 2021. And then this past, you know, December or January, he leaves his role as his contract expires. I think that has a lot, and it's not immediately renewed. That has a lot to do with the 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 Giovanni Reina stuff with his parents and that investigation. Um, the whole blackmail thing. So you have to, so they had to do the due diligence there, but we've been without a coach for six months for this national team. And now we're back exactly where we started. There were some other names that were floated, whether it's, I heard Thierry Henry, uh, Patrick Vieira was one of the names floated. Jesse Marsh also. Those were the names sort of going around it. If, if the U S didn't decide to go in the direction of Greg, but there's been a, a big clean out in U S soccer's front office, you know, Matt Crocker is now the, the the sporting director. It's sort of new a new executive board there, but still Greg. Greg is back as as head coach, and I know a lot of people are not happy about it. Um, one person who is is James Burley. He was texting me last night. He's thrilled that Greg Berhalter is back, which I think is very interesting. But first, I want to get both your guys' take. Andy, I'll start with you. Just your your first reactions to the announcement that Greg Berhalter is going to stay on as the coach of this team. So it's funny. I was watching the match and I was watching it with my sister and I was telling her the story about the coach about Greg, how he like, he like all the drama that happened. And as I'm telling that story, the commentators say, it's just been announced. He's coming back. And I was like, what? Like, what was all that? Like, what has all the trouble been the last couple of months just to bring the same person back? And so for me, if we look at the stats, he's been a successful coach. Uh, a stat that ESPN put out last night was that he averaged 2.05 points per match, the best by any U.S. coach with at least three games. And so there's no denying he's like been successful with the team. Now, if you can say, you can argue like he's not that successful, he got humiliated against Netherlands, in my opinion, in the World Cup. Regardless, he's had success. But the issue for me is not that. The issue is like the drama behind the scenes in the locker room, like how are the players going to react? Some of them have been very outspoken saying that they would love to have him back. Now others, uh, obviously with Gio Reyna, they're probably not going to be happy with this decision. And with such a talented team, I don't think you should bring the same coach back where you're going to like create animosity in the locker room. Potentially. I feel like you could bring a new coach in and still find that success you were having because the team is so good, so talented, and has so much potential. It was time to bring someone new. It just seems like a waste of time to have taken him out. 
and then bring two interim coaches just to bring the same guy back. It, it's a decision that makes no sense to me. I think, uh, yeah, I respect Brian Callahan, what he did um, in the match last night, because he did a great job with his management and to be, you know, bombarded with the news 10 minutes in that, you know, for holders coming back was kind of very disrespectful to, to, to Callaghan because he was just managing the team and then you know the news just breaks in and then you know Berhalter's back what like I didn't that was just insane during the match like that was really really weird but yeah like what Andy said I mean great coach led them to the World Cup um round of 16 obviously didn't go their way he knows the team really well the team knows him yeah his reputation as you know every, I feel like every press conference he's going to go into now are you going to start Gio Reyna are you going to start Gio Reyna like what's you know your relationship with the family now it's going to be very chaotic that he has to handle with this media about what happened in December January Nick Keenan and James and I talked about it so much during those times when it was happening when it was over until now that he's back he's a great coach he led them to the World Cup round of 16 you know I think you know I think that um they should have changed you know the coaching Sanders. I mean, it, the only the only good thing now is that going into this Copa America, going into this World Cup, is that they don't have to qualify for it because they're they're, they're already qualified. You know, they're hosting it, so having a new uh, set of eyes and mentality there could have changed the team a little bit. I thought Patrick Petra, uh, Patrick Vieira was going to come, and I thought he was going to do really well. He played he managed NYCFC a couple years ago, so I thought that was really he did a really good job. But yeah, I mean, it's going to be very hard with Berhalter now. I know James is very happy that Berhalter is back. I saw him tweeting last night about it. But yeah, it's going to be very interesting. Very interesting. I think he's going to do really well now. But, you know, the problem is the focus is going to be on him and Giorena, which is going to be very hard to for the team because, you know, you know, he's going to have to get through this media part. If if that if he uh, really wanted to come, he wanted to come back, he said it before. So, you know, we're going to see what happens, but uh, very shocking news. I, a lot of US, U.S. soccer fans are very, very disappointed that the Soccer Federation decided to do this move. It was very funny to see, you know, people talking about it on Twitter last night. But, um, yeah, it's shocking for me, to say the least. It, it was definitely an interesting time to, to announce it. Yeah, it's a, it's a very interesting situation because the players – Christian Pulisic, Tim Weah, other guys have come out and spoken in like high praise for Greg Berhalter in the last week or so. Like they love him. They want him to come back. And you also think of players like Gio Reyna and maybe Ricardo Pepe, who's left off the World Cup roster, you know, when he probably should have been there. And the whole Gio Reyna stuff. Like it's easy to say, oh, you can just put that, just please, they just got to put that behind them. But there's a lot of baggage there. Like, like Gio's parents tried to get Greg to lose his job by bringing up like 30 year old dirt that was private between him and his wife that his wife didn't necessarily want to be in the public eye to bring that out. That's a big deal. And it's not so easy to forgive and forget, but I think by rehiring Greg, there must be assurances that, that there, that that's going to, that relationship is going to be able to be mended. Um, I think the names of the other names, I think people also, another thing is fans of this team greatly overestimate the type of coach that wants to coach the United States men's national team. You know, people are like, Oh, let's get, let's get Mourinho. Let's get whoever he's never going to like, that's never going to happen. Like, like Patrick Vieira was probably like a reach. 
and that that's being realistic. I think it would have been really interesting if the, he would have come in. I think he was a little hard done by at Crystal Palace. You know, they had that crazy stretch without a win before he got fired, but it was, you know, one of the toughest toughest stretches in Premier League history in terms of fixtures. A lot of games against the top six, and I think he showed at Crystal Palace that they were playing a style of football. At least when he first got there, that was that was you know, possession-based and and, and, a, and a nice style of play that I would like to have seen the U.S. be able to be able to adapt. But I think, I think Jesse Marsh wouldn't have worked at an international level. I think he, it's way too attacking, way too, so press-oriented that, you know, in a tournament setting, you know, you're, you're, is that kind of setup, if you get it wrong on the day, you're conceding three or four goals and it's ugly. If you get it right, you you dominate and it looks gorgeous. But I don't think that style of of of, of managing is really suited for international football. And the other name was Thierry Henry, who has not had any sort of success managing, whether it's Monaco, whether it's CF Montreal. He hasn't been successful. One of my favorite players of all time. But um, as a manager, he hasn't quite proven it yet. I, I think the biggest thing is, you know, I would have liked to have moved on and put the Gio Reyna stuff behind us and and just sort of gone, ushered us into a new era towards Copa America and towards 2026. But I also don't think this is as, as I don't think the sky is falling quite as much as maybe the U.S. men's national team fans on social media are making it seem like. Uh, I think Greg Berhalter is a good coach. I don't think he's a great coach. I think he's he's he has the buy-in of most of this locker room. Um, I think the players really like him, but I think you know when you look on 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 Twitter on Instagram in the comments about I think just about this team in general. You know I don't want to I don't want to be on my high horse here, but like a lot of the takes from a lot of the people who carry around this team are so uninformed and not based in fact at all. You know, this this blind hatred that people have for anything that's associated with Major League Soccer or with or with the league. And it, it's it's very toxic. And I think the USMNT, you know, social media community is one of the more toxic fandoms that there is just because there's this I think there's people who'd rather see. MLS players and MLS, you know, people within this this national team fail than actually watch the national team win. I think people would rather be right and be like, and and see you know see Christian Roldan, see Aaron Long. These guys are awful, and and watch that failure than actually you know have success as a national team. And I think, you know, that sort of environment online has a lot to do with why people don't like Greg. Because I think if you look at his 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 resume, sort of just as based on the numbers, he's been successful, um, but. I think it does. It just feels like a little bit to me, like we've wasted six months. Like, what are we? Like, what are we doing? Why? Why does? Like, these are two finals that we're playing right now. And yes, we just bossed Mexico with with BJ Callahan in charge. But you know, what are we doing? Like, what have we been doing for the last six months? So I think the disappointment comes from a combination of people overrating the job and thinking that we can get better managers out there, and also underrating Greg a little bit and over criticizing him. But you know, I say all that, and I still, I still would have much preferred Patrick Vieira to Greg Berhalter, and I think that's, I think a lot of people would agree with me on that. Not Thierry Henry, not Jesse Marsh, but Patrick Vieira, I would have definitely liked to see. We only got like three minutes left, so you know, Gino, I'll go to you just for final thoughts, and then to you, Andy, just about Greg's appointment and about 
you know, the state of this national team moving forward with Greg at the helm for the foreseeable future? It's going to be very interesting to see what this era is going to happen. I mean, they're going into uh, Copa America, which is going to be hosted here, I think. They're going to the World Cup. They don't have to qualify. They don't have to, you know, get prepared for those matches. But, you know, they have a lot of matches to get to to get past that round of 16. They, I think the last two times to be in the World Cup, they haven't gone past the round of 16. So, I mean, hopefully they leave all the Giorena family stuff behind and they can just focus on, you know, the soccer they're playing, the players are going to play. It's going to, obviously his reputation is going to be a little bit stained with the fans, obviously, but hey, he can shut up the fans if, you know, the team the team's winning. If they get past the round 16 in, in, uh, in the World Cup of 26, and everything's going to be good. Copa America is going to be a very fun and interesting uh, time for USA soccer. They're going to be playing against the World Cup champions, hopefully. They're going to be playing against really good South American sides and some CONCACAF sides. So, you know, let's see what happens with uh, with this new era of Berhalter soccer. But uh, it's not going to be a good relationship between the fans for sure. I agree. Just uh, my opinion, a waste of time the last couple of months trying to find a replacement. Then you bring back Greg. And as I've been saying, I think the team is very talented, but the only worry I have now is that you might create a divided locker room. And in that case, it doesn't matter how talented your team is. If there's no chemistry, if you're all like angry at each other, if you don't get along with a coach, you're not going to be performing. So only time will tell what happens, how they perform once he's back. But um, yeah, just disappointed that they brought, Greg back they should not because of his results I think he's a he was a decent coach he did what he had to do but they should have brought someone new it was a good time to transition to something better it just feels like we got teased a little bit like like there's something better out there and then you and then and then it's just the same thing that we've been going through for the last three years I think this national team can still be very successful with Greg at the helm but I think he has the the geo stuff. He has to he has to deal with that day one as soon as he gets back in, and make sure that you know that's dealt with, and make sure that everyone's on the same page in that locker room because this is a a national team that has a lot of you know potential and a lot of big competitions coming up. This is probably the most important stretch of years that this national team has had in in a very 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 long time, if ever. The Copa America, then hosting the World Cup, and the talent that's coming through. You know, Greg's got his work cut out for him, but, you know, I'm rooting for him now that he's the coach. I'm not going to root for him to fail. I want this team to succeed. I'll always root for him. But as we got these these last 30 seconds or so here, that will do it for this episode of FUVFC. Nick Guzman, Gino Alva, Andy Rodriguez saying so long. That Nations League Finals on Sunday. We'll have another episode out for you next week. But for now, take care. Mm-hmm.